0: Hey everybody, and welcome to The Collective Podcast. My name is Josiah, and I'm one of our leaders here. Our prayer is that you find this next conversation meaningful and helpful in your relationship with God, no matter where you're at right now. If you're a young adult in the greater Akron area and you're looking to find community or just trying to learn more about God and Christianity, I would wanna personally invite you out to Collective. We meet at Grace Church Bath Campus every Thursday night at seven o'clock. And if you want more info, you can find it on our Instagram, GCM underscore Collective. Now let's jump into our conversation. What's up everybody, how are you guys doing? It's good to see you all. Um, it's good to see you all. My name is Josiah. If we haven't met before, um, I'd love to meet you sometime. I lo- I, my goal is my personal goal, personally. I would love to meet every single person that goes to Collective at one point or another. So if that's not you yet, let's make that happen. Um, and I'm really excited about the series that we're going to be jumping into uh, today. But before we get too deep into anything, I, I want to let you guys know about something. So throughout the course of the fall, we're really excited to be launching different types of small groups. We know how important it is uh, to be meeting with, with each other, to be poking into each other's lives, uh, to, to have community, to to grow in our faith and our understanding of things. So I want to let you guys know that we have two up and running small groups right now, and there's going to be more to come. So the first is on Friday nights with uh, Isaac and, uh, Isaac and Alexa. They lead that one if we have that slide. Um, that's on Friday nights. What, what time is that, Isaac? What's that at? Seven o'clock. So if you want more info on that, let Isaac know. Oh, there it is. Seven, seven. Uh, oh, it's on Fridays though, right? Not Wednesdays. It's, yeah, so it's on Friday. Ignore the Wednesday, but you know, whatever. And then, and then the other one, uh, actually is, is led by me and, and my boy Nate back there. And that's, uh, Wednesday nights at 8.30 at 10 o'clock. So we'll put those on our Instagram, but I just want to make sure that you guys know that things are going to be rolling out. Things like the retreat, different types of community. Make sure you jump on board and we're going to keep rolling those out throughout the course of, uh, the fall. Um, so. I'm really excited about the, uh, the series that we're in right now. We're, at, we're on our second week of series uh, talking about a story that Jesus tells of different ways to be lost and separated from God. I talked to... I've worked at Collective for four years now and I've had quite a few conversations with with a lot of people uh, our age about God and about Christianity. And one of the most reoccurring conversations I have with people goes something like this. I, I found that a lot of people, particularly our age, a lot of people, we really like Jesus, we really like Jesus a lot, but oftentimes we're not a big fan of religious systems, right? So you'll you'll hear people say, they'll say things like, I really like Jesus, but I don't like the church, or I really like Jesus, but I don't like organized religion, or I really like Jesus, and I don't like religious systems. And maybe one of you, uh, maybe some of you can relate to that. I know I definitely can, uh, because these people, I think very rightly so, I think oftentimes we find a little bit of a contradiction between what Jesus says, and Jesus' heart, and the love that we understand from Jesus, and religious systems. We find a little bit of a contradiction. Uh, Sometimes we we might think to ourselves, it doesn't really make sense to me how an all-loving God who supposedly wants me so badly would force somebody to join a religious system as the only way to get to know him. It, wouldn't God's love be able to overcome that? Like why, why would God want me to get involved with ex religious system as a way to get to know him? That the only way to get to know God is by going to church? That seems a little odd. Or that the only way to get to know God is by behaving in a certain way or not behaving in a certain way? Seems a little odd. Or that the only way to know God is by associating with certain people. That all seems a little bit odd. And if you don't join the right religious system, if you don't believe the right things, you're telling me that if I don't join the right system, that I'm going to hell? That seems a little odd. That doesn't seem right. Because what that means is that there are people out there, there are religious people out there um, that are totally unloving. And who are totally unempathetic, and who don't really care about anyone, and who tend to be mean and harsh and judgmental, and all the things that we we would know is, is not a loving way to be. But if they, if those people, as unloving and as unkind as they are, if they are in the right system, they're good to go. They're good to go when they stand before God. God, God will look at their all their life, but they'll be like, "But God, I believe the right things, so and I went to the right thing, and they're good." And that means other people who are kind who are empathetic, who do care about other people, who do seem to emulate or, or look more like Jesus uh, than others, that those people, if they believe the wrong things or if they're in the wrong system, they're separated from God forever just because they didn't engage with the right religious system. It seems a little messed up. And I've had this conversation over and over and over and over again. And I know that many of us in this room struggle with that question. So what's up with that? If you, you, like myself, have struggled with this question, particularly if you've struggled with the idea of organized religion, I think you're going to find our conversation today very fascinating and enlightening. If you struggle with the idea of, of what is religion, what's the role of the church, was this and that, I think you're going to find our conversation today very fascinating and enlightening. Last week, we started a story that Jesus uses to answer the question, uh, th- this exact question, but um, we actually didn't read all the way in the story. We actually didn't finish the story. In fact, we, we didn't even get to Jesus' main point of the story yet. So we're going to get to, into Jesus' main point. Of the story today. If you have a Bible or you have a phone, just look up Luke chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 11. I'm going to catch us up and where we were in the story, or you can follow along on the screens right here. So here's what uh, Luke, uh, Luke writes. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. All right. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate right now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons and, and give the younger son the portion of the estate. A few days later, this younger son packed up all of his belongings and he moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money and wild living. He started doing all these terrible things that we would think are irreligious, that are absolutely wrong, that are all the taboos. He started doing all those things. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and the son began began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When the younger son, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I need to go back home to my father and say, "Father, I have sinned against both heaven And against you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me as one of your hired servants. So the son returned home to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. He embraced him and he kissed him. He said to him, uh, his son said to him, father, I've sinned against both heaven and against you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. and get a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and now, return to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. And what a happy ending. And we talked about that last week, that that there is no place that we can go that is too far to return home to God. That there's nothing that we can engage in that makes us too dirty or too unclean to come back to God because of what Jesus has done for us. That all the father wanted all along wasn't his obedience, but the son's hearts. And that if we get it all wrong and do all the wrong things, the father will always embrace us with open arms. But the story doesn't end there. The story doesn't end there. Like I said, Jesus hasn't even made his main point yet. He hasn't made his main point yet. And let let me tell you this, the people that Jesus is telling this story to, uh, they the people that Jesus is telling this story to, they did not walk away happy by any means. They they were not feeling hunky-dory about this story. In fact, uh, Jesus's audience to this story would have walked away absolutely outraged, absolutely outraged, storming out of the room, furious, so mad in their hearts. Um, Jesus is, it tells us earlier in the chapter that Jesus is actually telling this story to a group of very religious people, okay? Very religious people, people who grew up in church, maybe like some of us have. Uh, People who knew the Bible, know the Bible. Maybe some of us do, maybe some of us don't. And people who did all the right things and never did any of the wrong things. And let me tell you, they hated this story. (laughs) They absolutely hated this story. And the point Jesus is about to make is going to make them so resentful towards Jesus. So let me finish the story This is where we're going to set up shop. Luke chapter uh, 15, verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. All right, remember, we have two sons. There's the younger son and the older son. The younger son's the one that went off. But meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he is back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all of these years I've been slaving for you and I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, when he comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. For the older brother, so, so the older brother sees that, it, that his younger brother has come home. They throw this big party. The older brother is absolutely indignant and he refuses to go in. For the older brother not to be attending this gigantic of a celebration. When they're talking about killing the fattened calf, that, that's our version of throwing a wedding. Like the biggest possible party celebration, no expense spared, the biggest party we could ever throw for the older brother to not be attending a celebration of this magnitude would have been incredibly offensive. Remember, Jesus is talking in a, in a first century Middle Eastern patriarchal society. And in that type of society, the father the head is the big deal. He's the boss. He's the authority. He's the dad. He's all of those things combined. And the older brother not attending this celebration would have been a direct sign of disrespect and disapproval towards the father. He would be making a very intentional statement. It would be equivalent to um, standing in the driveway of this party with, with a sign that says, I do not approve of my father's decisions. People would have known that the older brother is not at this party. He is making a statement out there. He is not happy. Um, And he wasn't just being pouty. He was being intentionally disrespectful. In this culture, it also would have been incredibly beneath the father. Remember, the grand, the mighty, the father, right? The father. It would have been very beneath the father to have to leave his celebration, to have to leave the party that he threw for his son, just to go convince his other pouty son to come back into the house. That would have been a really big deal. But the father loves his older son so much, and he simply wants them to be a part of this celebration. So the father spends all his efforts pleading with his older son to come back inside. But the story ends right there. The story ends right there. The story abruptly ends with the obedient, the religious, the righteous older brother being separated from the father, being upset with the father, and being separate, intentionally separating himself from the father. Meanwhile, the, the rebellious younger brother who went out and squandered the property with prostitutes, the one who did everything wrong and nothing right. Meanwhile, that brother is close to the father, which is exactly the opposite of what religion teaches. It's exactly the opposite of what religion teaches. It's exactly the opposite of what we expect from God it's the exact opposite. And this teaching uh, made the people that Jesus is teaching this to, it made them so indignant and so furious and so frustrated that over the course of time, they began to plot to kill Jesus for such a teaching. So let's talk about what Jesus is saying with the older brother. Let's try and get our heads around what Jesus is trying to say about the older brother. Because here's the deal, here's the deal. Many of us in this room um, have, uh, have a, a lifestyle that might look similar to the older brother. Maybe I'm not, I'm not judging. I don't know everybody, but many of us have grown up in church our whole lives. Many of us, not all of us. Um, many of us have always done the right thing and never done the wrong thing. And in a sense, this story is a warning that Jesus is giving to his most devout followers. The older son is mad about the younger son for a few reasons. Um, First of all, the older son has worked very hard for the affirmation of of the father. And in his mind, he's never been celebrated like this. He's worked hard. And and so the, 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 the older son is looking at his father and he's saying, I've been here this whole time. I've been slaving for you and you never even threw me like a dinky little birthday party with like Star Wars plates or something. You never even, and you take the fattened calf You take the fattened calf and you slaughter it for my younger brother, the one that disgraced the family name don't, don't I earn a celebration like that? I'm sure we can relate to this, right? We can relate to not getting the credit that we feel like we deserve. That's the first reason. Here's the second reason. And the second reason might be a little bit more significant. Okay. So if you remember, like we we had talked about this, that the inheritance of the father, which is this gigantic family estate, right? This would be worth millions and millions of dollars in our current context. The father, when he dies, he was going to divide his estate into three parts. He gave one third to the younger son and the older son, by nature of being the oldest, gets two thirds of the property. Okay. Now here's what happens. The younger son, he takes his third and he blows all the cash, right? So that third is completely gone. Doesn't really affect the older brother. No problem, right? Because he's got his two thirds. When the father reinstates the younger son as a son again, where do you think his new chunk of the inheritance is going to come from? It's going to come from the older brother. It's going to come from the older brother. So the older brother is very, very, very aware that the father just cut into his half of the bargain for the sake of the younger son. I remember when my brother and I, uh, my, you know, my brother and I were kids, we were, always, we were always trying to save up for $7. And if, if, you, uh, if you're a dude, you probably know what I'm talking about. Um, little boys always tried to save up for $7. And, and let me tell you what was $7. It wasn't just a perfect number. It was kind of a holy number. Um, for $7, you could buy a Star Wars action figure. For $7, you could buy a Star Wars action figure. A Star Wars action figure about this tall. It was about this tall. You really couldn't tell what the characters were unless you looked like really closely at their hairstyle. But it was a pretty legit Star Wars action figure. And, And the way my family worked, like we would all, you know, we'd play with our Star Wars figures together, all as brothers. But you wanted to be the one that owned the most Star Wars figures because when you inevitably get into a fight, you can say, oh, you guys can't play with mine. Those are mine. And you take all the ones back that you had bought. So we were always hustling to try and save $7 to buy a Star Wars action figure. Man, I want to count Dooku so bad. You know, like we're, we're saving up. And uh, I remember I I started a lemonade stand. I thought like, mom, I, I really want $7. I'm gonna start this lemonade stand. So I got all the supplies. I, I, I'm hustling all day. You know, I went to Walmart and bought the mix and I mixed it with water. Like I'm working hard, you know? And so I, I set out my lemonade stand outside and we, we didn't live on a busy street at all. Like we're talking three cars an hour. Like it was, not, it was not a busy street at all. It was like an offshoot neighborhood. And so I sat with my lemonade stand and I was outside all day and 25 cents at a time. I worked my way all the way up to $7. And I was absolutely ecstatic. Like that was, that was a, a financial, uh, you know, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Uh, I made it $7, which is not bad for 25 cents at a time. So I walk in the house with $7. Simultaneously, my younger brother walks in the house, not with $7 who mind the by the way, he did not help with the lemonade stand. He walks in not with $7, but with $35, which do a quick math. Uh, you could buy pretty much all the Jedi with that. And so, uh, he walks in with $35 and I didn't see him lift a finger. I had no idea what he was doing. And so, uh, I, I kept investigating. I'm like, how did you get, how did you get that? And so I investigated. I was trying to figure out what happened. Here's what I put together. Here's what I figured out. Here's how my brother made $35. He went into my room. He went into my room and he looked through all my shelves and all my drawers and he started taking all the stuff out of my room and he put it into his wagon. Okay. Then he proceeded to take his wagon and wheel it around the neighborhood, and sell the contents of my room to the neighbors. <laughs> that's, that's what he did. Okay, so I'm indignant about this, because my brother has made $35 purely at my expense. He, he did not do anything. And so I went to my parents. I'm like, surely my parents will sort this out. Surely they'll figure it out. So I go up to my mom. I'm like, mom, mom, you have no idea. I worked all day, and I made $7. But my brother, he stole all my stuff, and he, stole, and he sold it to the neighbors. You know what my mom said to me? My mom said, Oh, Josiah, you should be so proud of him. He's being entrepreneurial. That's what she said. She's mean. He's being entrepreneurial. I didn't know we counted thievery as being entrepreneurial. Could you imagine if I went on the shark tank and I'm like, hello sharks, my name is Josiah Bogue and I'm seeking $50,000 for 10% stake in my company. And they're like, Josiah, what is your company? I'm like, well, I robbed a local Best Buy and I plan to sell its content half off on eBay. <laughs> but that's exactly how the older brother thought. He thought to himself, dad, I've been saving up all day. I've been working so hard. I want this inheritance and my brother gets the inheritance purely at my expense. That's not fair. He doesn't deserve it. And the older brother functioned under a fundamental misconception that many of us fall into all the time. Here's what it is. The older brother thought that he could earn the benefits of the father through obedience. The older brother thought that he could earn the benefits of the Father through obedience. And this is what we think all the time. Oftentimes we think that we can earn the benefits of God through obedience. We, we might think something like this to ourselves. We, we might think, man, I don't want to go to hell. Like I really don't want, I mean, heaven, hell, uh, toss up. I, I, I don't want to go to hell. And uh, if I have to choose between heaven and hell, I know what I'm picking. Here's what I'm going to do to make sure I don't go to hell. I'm going to obey All the commandments of the Bible. I'm going to obey. So I'm not going to have sex with my girlfriend or boyfriend. And I'm not going to go out and party with my friends and get drunk. Um, I, I'm not going to swear anymore and I'm not going to watch certain movies and I'm not going to look at certain things and listen to certain types of music and I'm going to go to church all the time and that way uh, that when I stand before the father one day, he'll look at me and he'll say, of all the people that should go to hell, you're probably the last person on my list and I'll receive my inheritance through obedience. We might say something like this. This might be a, l- a little more uh, at home. I want to live a great life. I want a fulfilled life with purpose and dignity. I want God to be on my side. I want to have a good job. I want to have a good family. I want to be well off financially. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to church every week. I'm going to go to church every week. I'm not just going to go to church. Oh man, I'm not just going to do that. I'm going to serve at church. I'm going to make the coffee (laughs) or I'm going to work the parking lot. I'm going to serve at my church and and I'm going to read the Bible. Sure, I get bored as crap, but like I'm going to read the Bible. I, I, I'm going to dig into. It. I'm going to read really hard because that's the kind of stand-up guy that I am. I'm going to give my money to God. I'm going to tithe so that when God looks at me, He'll say, "This is the kind of guy I should bless. This is the guy I want to give his ben- my benefits to him. He deserves it because he has been." obedient. And that's what the older brother thought. He thought, I want my inheritance, so I'm going to obey my father's every command. Here's the problem with that. That's what most people think religion is, by the way. Here's the problem with that. The problem is when you think you can earn God's benefits through obedience, when you think you can earn God's benefits through obedience, you're going to lose your mind when a disobedient person gets the same benefits too. When you work so hard, To earn all these benefits from God, to get this great life from God, you're going to lose your crap when a disobedient person gets the exact same benefits. Look at verse 29. Uh, Here's what the older brother says. He says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet You never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes, when he comes home, you kill the found calf for him. It's unfair. It's absolutely unfair. I've never had sex with anyone. I've never gotten to experience that pleasure. It's not fair. I never got drunk. I never got to have fun with my friends. I don't know what it's like to smoke marijuana. I've never had, like, I, I never got to do it. It's not fair. I, I decided to serve at the church. You think I really wanted to be at the church? You think I wanted to be with the toddlers? Really? You thought that? It's on. Un- Fair, you're telling me that my friends who got to have sex, you're telling me that my friends who got to have sex, who got to experience all kinds of things, all kinds of substances experienced, who got all the attention and all the popularity and all the praise, you're telling me that this whole time they get to go to heaven too? You're telling me, God, God you're telling me those friends that screwed everything up, you, you're telling me that those friends have just as happy of a life as I do? You're telling me that my friends who, who never took sexual purity seriously, the ones who messed it up the whole way, you're telling me that their marriage is just as happy as my marriage is? That's unfair. That's my inheritance. I worked hard for that. It's unfair. I never disobeyed your orders. And they did. And here we are, both landed in the exact same place. The father responds to his son. He says, My son, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and we had to be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, but now he's found. Aren't I enough for you? Aren't I enough? I thought you wanted to be close to me. I thought you wanted to know my heart. You're telling me all this time we've had together, you would have just traded that away if you knew you could come right back. I thought I was enough for you. All I ever wanted was your heart. And the story abruptly ends with the obedient son who thought he was entitled to these benefits that he thought in his mind that he had earned. Storming away from God and storming away from his quote-unquote religion. Because what he thought he had earned from the Father, it turns out he could never earn it after all. Here's the next point. Service without love is just manipulation. Service without love is manipulation. There, there are two potential motives people have when they serve God. The first motive is love. Um, m- most people think, a, funda- a big misunderstanding that people have, most people think that the commandments in the Bible are God's prerequisites to being a good Christian, or God's prerequisites for salvation. Um, that's what they think. But that's not what Jesus teaches us at all, actually. Jesus teaches us that the commands in the Bible are simply the outplays of someone's love for God. The commands in the Bible are simply the outplays of someone's love for God after they've received his love. In other words, service, serving someone, is a natural and inevitable outplay of loving someone. Service is a natural outplay of loving someone. Let, let me give you an example. When was the last time you were walking through the mall or you were walking through Chuck E. Cheese and, and, you, and you saw like a, a baby and you, you, you walked up to, to the mom or the dad, and you said, um, hey, would you mind if I change this baby's diaper? Have you done this anytime anytime recently? When was the last time that happened? That never happens. That absolutely never happens. No, 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 no one ever wants to do that. You, you never just walk up to someone, and you say, hey, can I take care, uh, can I take care of this diaper, right? But, but each and every one of you, your mom and dad, change your diaper every single day. Do you think they enjoyed that? Yes or no? Just simple yes or no? No. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) No, they absolutely didn't. But serving is a natural outplay of loving someone. Let me give you another example. I hate writing handwritten things with all my heart. I hate writing handwritten things. If you have ever seen my handwriting, it would remind you of um, scribbles. Like it would remind you of if you drop spaghetti on the floor that's, it. That's what it would remind you of. And uh, I'm terrible, and my hand, gets, my hand gets super cramped. I remember one time I handed in an English paper, like one of those exams where you had to handwrite it, and my teacher just looked at me and she said, are you serious? <laughs> That's what she said. Uh, so I, I, I hate writing handwritten things. I'm terrible at it. And I, I never really did. I never really did. Until, until I started dating my wife. Because very different than me, um, Sarah absolutely loves to receive handwritten letters. She absolutely loves it. That's that's her favorite thing in the world. So all of a sudden, something that I hated doing, absolutely hated doing, became something that I started doing. Why? Because service is a natural outplay of love. If I want to show love for my wife, I meet her in the ways that shows love for her. And all the commands in the Bible, all those are, is God describing outplays of love for him. But there's a second motivation for serving someone. There's a second motivation. Um, and on the outside, what's tricky about it is it looks exactly like the first one. It looks exactly like love. The second reason to serve someone is manipulation. The second reason to serve someone is manipulation. Manipulation is to serve someone in order to gain control over them through their indebtedness to you. Manipulation is to serve someone in order to gain control over them through their indebtedness to you. And in his conversation with the father, the older brother reveals that the only reason that he had been serving his father all these years was to control him. He wanted his inheritance. He wanted a good life. He wanted to be happy. He wanted to be well off. He wanted a celebration. He wanted to feel good. He wanted to be adored. He wanted to be celebrated and esteemed. He wanted the father's status. He wanted power. He wanted to be correct about correct beliefs. He wanted to be the man of the town. And it's revealed that even though the older son looked like he loved the father, he didn't at all. Instead, the older son wanted to control the father through obeying him and twisting his arm of giving something in return. He didn't love the father. He didn't want to honor the father. He wanted to make sure that the father stayed at that just perfect distance so that he could reap all of his father's benefits while giving the father zero access to his heart. Here's something to write down. The difference between loving God and manipulating God is the access you give him to your heart. The difference between loving God and manipulating God is the access that you give Him to your heart. And this is what religious systems are. Religious systems are simply man's way of keeping God outside of our hearts. Religious systems are simply man's way of keeping God outside of our hearts. I've gone to church my whole life. I've always gone. Me and my, my parents went, my family, they went there. I've gone to church my whole life. Now, God, God, you owe me heaven. I don't have sex with my girlfriend. I don't, I never do. I don't even look at pornography. It's crazy. God, now you owe me amazing relationships and a great post-marriage sex life. You owe that to me. I serve and give money to the poor. Now God, you owe me fulfillment you owe me happiness. You owe me a good mental health because I serve other people. And our morality is simply a way of twisting God's arm to say, I've done this for you. Now you have to do this for me. Pay up. And the beauty of service without love is you can do the bare minimum to get what you want, but never change your heart in any way. You can do the bare minimum to get what you want, but never change your heart in any way. And that's the paradigm so many of us function in. God, don't even talk to me about serving more. Don't even talk to me. Don't even talk to me about buckling down and being a part of a local church and, and investing in them and advancing the gospel. Don't even talk to me. Do you know how much I give to the poor? Do you, do you, have any, do you, have, do you know how much I serve my mom? Do you, do you, have, do you have any idea? Do you know how much I clean this and that? Don't even talk to me about that. Don't even talk to me about forgiving my dad and the wounds that he's left me. Don't even talk to me about forget. Don't you know how much I've read the Bible? Don't even talk to me about telling my best friend about Jesus. Don't you know how essential I am in the places that I serve? We can do as we choose and we cannot do what we want. God, what's the minimum I have to do to keep a distance and keep you out of my heart? I want to be real. Um, I've gone through intense seasons of thinking like this. I think all of us do. But I've gone through intense seasons of God, how, how can I get what you have to offer, but not actually let you go deep enough? See, seasons of outrageous arrogance, because I feel like I'm doing it all right. You all should listen to me. I'm holy, got it figured out and only to crash and burn with tremendous insecurity. God, I'm not good enough. I can't fulfill all your commands. Here's the problem. Here's the problem with thinking like that. And I I really believe that this is why Jesus puts this story in the Bible, because he could have ended it so happy, and he didn't. He had to add just another section. Here's the problem. When we think like this, when we think like this, we miss the gospel We miss the gospel. We miss the entire message that Jesus came to share. We miss the entire message and we miss the heart of God. Jesus is telling this story to religious people saying, I need you to know how badly I want you. The religious people, the people that are being oppressive, the people that are being mean, the people that are being judgmental, I need you to know how badly I want you. I need you to know how deeply I love you. I need you to know that I want you more than anything, but I need you to know that you don't have an ounce of love for me in your heart. Not even the tiniest bit. I need you to know and have an understanding of how broken you are. Because only when we understand our own brokenness can we let Jesus into our hearts. I need you to have an understanding of how great I am, that I am not some uh, some dad that you can just twist his arm and I'll passively give you what I want. That I am God. You have no understanding of how much you need me. You have no humility. You're just trying to get what you want. When we follow a system and win God's favor, when we try and twist God's arm for our obedience, what we're doing is we're putting all of our faith into ourselves. Uh, what we're thinking to ourselves that somehow I can be good enough. Somehow I can fix myself. I I deny how broken I am, that my heart is just as bad as the people that I'm judging, that my heart is just as bad as the most racist person in the entire world, that my heart is just as bad as a murderer, as a pedophile, as a rapist, as whatever, that all of our hearts are in the exact same spot. We deny how broken that we are. We deny that we need a savior. We deny it. Because if I can pull myself together and if I can say all the right things and do all the right things and, if, and when I go to heaven, I'll tell God, I believe you're God and I believe the Bible. All right, come right in. If I can do all those things, then I don't need a savior. A morality system cannot save you. Only a savior can. A morality system cannot save you. Only a savior can the gospel or or the message of Jesus is that we are so far from God, that we are so, our hearts are so fundamentally distant from where God's heart is at. Not just in action, not just in the bad things that we do, the things that we think about, but in the stance of our hearts, that whether through religion or through rebellion, we've all looked straight into the eyes of God and said, I don't want you. I want to live my own life. I want authority of my own life. I want life without you. The debt we owed our father was so great and so tremendous that we could never be welcomed back. We owed him so much that we could never be welcomed back. That even the best of the best, the people that, the, the Mother Teresas of the world, the people that are beyond anything, that those people were so far from God that they could never be welcomed back. But the gospel is, is that Jesus loved you and that Jesus loved me so deeply at the peak of my hatred for him, that Jesus gave up his inheritance, that Jesus gave up his state with the father, that Jesus laid down his life. Not a third of what God was going to give him. God, Jesus gave up everything he laid down his entire life, separating himself from the father, the one he loved more than anything else. Why? To reinstate you, to reinstate me as a child of God, to purchase our debt back, that there is nothing you have done, and there's nothing I can do, and there's nothing that you have done, are doing, or ever will do that we'll be able to earn God's favor in that way. God's grace only comes through Jesus Christ, not by our works, not by our beliefs, not by our religion, and certainly not from ourselves. The only way to receive the life Jesus gives is by handing our hearts over to him. The only way to receive the life Jesus gives is by handing our hearts over him, knowing knowing I'm never gonna be good enough. I'm never. When am I gonna shake this struggle? I don't know. When am I going to stop being arrogant? I don't know. When when am I going to pull it together? I have no idea. I'll never be able to pay him back, but my heart is in his hands. And when you serve God, we don't serve God to earn our keep. We don't serve God to, to get a good deal, a good bargain, rip him off not to twist his arm. We serve God because my heart belongs to him. I want to be as close to him as I can possibly be. I just want to make my dad proud. I just want to show my affection for him to be one in heart with my father. For some of us, that's the greatest news that we could ever hear because it means you can stop trying. It means that even when you don't get it together, that you can hand your heart over to Jesus and he'll take you right in. You're the younger brother. And what you need to know is that God will take you back with open arms at any time. That, that, not because of, of our past or our failures or our addiction or our present. It doesn't matter that God will take us back. We know we're not good enough. We know. We know we're screwing up. We know the system, the religion, the people, ourselves. We know we're failing all around. And what you need to know is the father just wants his kid back. That's some of us. But for the rest of us, there's a big concern. I think it's my job um, to help us and help me, I, help all of us identify where we're at with Jesus. Um, for some of us, we are the older brother. We are. The older, there's another way of saying the old, being an older brother. We call it being spiritually immature. That's a fancy way of saying it. But we are the older brother. And remember, no one thinks they're an older brother. Everyone thinks they're mature, <laughs> right? Nobody, um, so what I want to do for the next couple minutes, I'm going to invite Zach up. He's going to play behind me. What I want to do is walk us through some ways to be able to evaluate our own hearts, to be able to look and, and be fair and see what are the ways that I'm trying to twist God's arm? What are the ways that I'm trying to take advantage of him. Here's a few things I want us to think through, a few signs of maybe having some older brother tendencies. All right, here's the first one. If you find it hard to empathize with people who are deep in sin and instead look down on them, easily holding their sin against them. If you find it hard to empathize with people that are way far, the younger brothers, right? And are quick to hold their sin against them or or think that I am somehow better off than that person because they screwed up. I didn't. I think oftentimes thinking like that is actually a deep sign of spiritual immaturity of being an older brother because understanding God's grace in my own life gives us empathy. It gives us love because we can look at the worst of the worst, the most racist person in the entire world, the biggest screw up on the face of the planet. We can look at them dead in the eyes and know that they need forgiveness in the exact same way that I do. That's the first time. Here's another one. If I were to ask you, how do you know you're, fo- you're a follower of Jesus? If I were to ask you, how do you know you're a follower of Jesus? And you were to answer me with any type of action or belief. If I were to say, how do you know you're a follower of Jesus? And, and you, would, you would say, well, I go to church every week. I'll read my Bible. I, I pray. I talk to God. Or I say, How do you know your Father Jesus? And you would say, Well, I believe Jesus is God. Or I believe that the Bible is true. i not making any judgments because I don't know your heart. Sometimes we just don't have the right words to say. Um, but that very well might be a sign that we might think that we're earning God's grace somehow. That somehow when we stand before heaven, um, God's either going to pull up a list of all the good things that we've done, or He's going to ask us, What's the password? Jesus Christ is Lord right? It's a sign of feeling that we've earned God's grace. Instead, I encourage you to consider and think, how much access to my heart does Jesus have? I think that's the actual framework. How much access to my heart does Jesus have? Is there anything that if Jesus asked me to do, it, I wouldn't? If there's any part that he would poke into, I'd say, no, you can't go in there. That might be the better framework. The third. Um, If you would say, you know, Josiah, uh, we talk a lot about the love of God, a lot about the grace of God. We talk a lot about how to be saved by God. Um, When are we going to get to like the deeper stuff? When are we going to get to like the more advanced stuff? that, you know, the, 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 the nitty gritty, the deep stuff. Now, when are we going to talk about more complex issues? All right, listen. If you understand the grace that Jesus has given you and you understand the gospel, um, there is nothing in your spiritual walk except the gospel. There is no aspect of your relationship with God other than God's grace for you, his love for you and your love for him. That's the extent of it. Every other thing just stems out of that. Uh, I, I, there's a guy I really like. when, when my, He's really impacted my life. His name is Tim Keller. He wrote this. Um, Pastor Tim Keller, we never get beyond the gospel in our Christian life. We never get to something more advanced. The gospel isn't the first step the, or the stairway of truths. Rather, it's more like the hub and a wheel of truth. The gospel isn't the ABCs but it's the A through Z of Christianity. It's not the minimum required doctrine as necessary to enter the kingdom, but instead it's the way we make progress in the kingdom. Here's the last one, very last one. here's the one that I I think is most convicting to me, a sign of being an older brother. A sign of an older brother is when you see a younger brother, a person that's struggling, a person that's in rebellion, a person that's far from God. If you see that younger brother and you make no effort at all to tell him about the love of Jesus Christ, that might be one of the biggest signs of spiritual immaturity that there is. Try and be gentle. and not I, We've all been there. I'm not But that might be one of the biggest signs of being an older brother. Tim Keller, the same guy, he wrote a book on the prodigal son. He points out that it actually would have been the older brother's responsibility to go after the younger brother. That the father shouldn't have been the one out there with open arms, although of course God's going to do that for us but instead that that the older brother should have taken his third of the inheritance or his money and his resources, and he would have done anything to get his younger brother back. Why? Because if the older brother's heart was in tune with the father, he would know that the thing that the father longs for more than anything else is for his lost kids. He would know that the thing that the father longs for more than anything else is to have his lost kids back. Friends, if our spiritual journey is about how how is God growing me? What what is the church doing for me? I, I don't feel like I'm growing. I don't feel like I'm being fed. I don't feel like this and that. I think we're missing the heart of God. Not that we shouldn't be trying to grow. I'm not saying any of that. But the number one thing that's on the father's mind is my son's out there. I don't know what he's doing. I just want him home. And when he comes home, we can all celebrate. We can all rest. We can all be close together. We can all read the Bible and pray. We can do all the things. But right now, my son's out there. And my friends, right now, God's kids are out there. And they're in our lives. They're at our work. They're at our school. That's our priority. That's where the heart of God is calling us. God always, 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 always gives us an opportunity to come back to him. God is always calling both younger brothers and older brothers back to him. And so it is, we are never too deep into anything. So, so if you feel like, man, I've gone far from God, I'm, I'm, I'm rebellious, I'm this, I'm that, you can throw your heart to Jesus at any time. And if you feel like, I've been stubborn, I've been, I've been hard-hearted, I've been not in tune with Jesus, we can throw our hearts at the Father exactly the same. He will always take us back. Collective, this ministry is built to be a place for both younger brothers and older brothers can discover what Jesus is. And if we are in the family of God, our job is to go out there to tell the world that Jesus Christ is Lord and he wants each and every one of us. And we can use collective as a resource. We can use our church as a resource. I don't care, but that's the mission. I'm gonna pray for us and the band's gonna come up. Jesus, Jesus, would you let us be in tune with your heart? Father, would you remind us over and over again that we need grace every day, that there's never a time when we're not being rebellious or we're not being religious or we're not being hard. There's never a time. Jesus, would you break through the stubbornness of our hearts? Jesus, would you get to the core? Would you transform us? Holy Spirit, I ask that you would convict each and every one of us to know what we need to do, to know what we need to surrender, how we need to stop thinking, who we need to reach out to. And Holy Spirit, would you give us the courage and the fundamental conviction to do all those things? Because we want you, not because we're trying to earn or keep with you. God, if we're in you, we have it. We have our inheritance. We, we are yours. But God, let us act like a son. Let us act like a daughter of a king. God, I want to pray lastly for anyone in this room who does not know you. They feel like they are too far from you. They're too far gone. Now, I don't know what they've done and you don't know what they've done. Jesus, would you show them clearly, absolutely clearly that it's never too late to come home and each kid that comes home, you will embrace with open arms and state it as a son, a daughter, of the Father. Holy Spirit, would you move in us? let Let us worship for who you are. In your name, amen. Thanks again for tuning in to The Collective Podcast. If you have any questions about anything that we talked about today, or you just want to reach out for help or advice or someone to talk to, we always want to make ourselves available to you. One of the best ways is to send us a direct message to GCM underscore collective or to send us an email to collective at graceohio.org. As always, you are invited to collective every Thursday night at 7 o'clock at Grace Church Bath Campus. Hope to see you soon. Bye.